The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it to Matthew uh, chapter 28, um, verses 18 to 20. We're going to be talking about that here in a little bit. You can also follow along if you have the YouVersion app on your phone. We've got all the verses listed in there that we're going to talk about before we get to this Matthew 28 text. And as you're, as you're turning in your Bible, I, I have a question that I want you to think about. It's a question actually that was asked in, in last week's YouVersion event that we encouraged our small group um, members here at Westway to ask as they began their time together. And the question is this, how have you grown in your discipleship because of someone else's generosity and humble serving? How have you grown because of what someone else has done? I've spent some time over the last few days kind of doing some, doing some basic thinking about that question and some basic figuring. And, and I'm, to the, I'm at the conclusion that between Tuesday morning and today at 1015, um, there have been about 50 hours of time, effort, and energy that went into the 75 to 90 minutes, um, depending on how long I'm going to preach today. Um, that there's about 50 hours that have gone in, gone into the 75 to 90 minutes of time that we call the 10:15 this morning, and that's just like that's just official on the clock hours. Um, I, I wrote this down. So there was Thursday night practice. So between the musicians, vocalists, audio team. Uh, Then again, this morning at 8 a.m., all of those people plus our video and broadcast team. On Sunday mornings, we have greeting and coffee team members that arrive uh, by 8 a.m. with more coming over the next few hours. Uh, We have our Kidman team that that preps um, their classrooms and is thinking through what they're going to teach on Sunday mornings. Uh, Somebody puts the welcome flags out every Sunday morning. Um, there's all sorts of cleaning and building prep. And just because that we didn't meet this past Wednesday night because of snow doesn't mean that the building stays clean throughout the week. And I honestly couldn't tell you how many hours this week that Jim has spent cleaning the parking lot. Last night as we were driving home from we were driving home from North Platte. We went to go see, uh, we, had a great, we had a grandchild's birthday party that we got to go to. We're driving home from North Platte, and, and as we came, came down, uh, came out of the Wildcat Hills at one of the roads, there was a snowplow sitting there and a truck sitting there. And Ann says, man, these people have got to be wondering, like, where are we going to put all of this snow at this point? Like, there's a lot of time, effort, and energy that goes into to what we do here and I think 50 hours is, is kind, of a, kind of a minimum because I can tell you that 50 hours doesn't include, doesn't include sermon prep time. It doesn't include any time that, that Cody and his team have put into like making sure that we all have lyrics to read on a Sunday morning and things to look at on the screens on a Sunday morning. It doesn't include the amount of time that Michaela's thought and prayed about the music that we're going to sing today. It doesn't include any of the time that our musicians and vocalists 
um, spend at home listening to the songs and learning how to play them. And between Thursday night and Sunday morning, any adjustments that need to be made. Like there's a lot of time, effort, and energy that goes into this on Sunday mornings. It doesn't include uh, putting together the resource guides that, that are going to be available today after the 1015 for our first and second Peter series that starts next week. It doesn't include outgoing communication. So what I want, what I want you to know this morning, what we're going to talk about is that, is that our, our discipleship is by and large a product of someone else's love of someone else's generosity, of someone else's humble service. And if we were were just to be realistic about that, and we were to think about all of the other things that are going on, it's, I mean, it's hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours on a weekly basis. Wednesday nights and grandparenting potlucks and small groups and just all sorts of things go into your discipleship. Go into my discipleship. And the reality of it is, um, Westway didn't just materialize last week. This building didn't just just show up in the last seven days. Discipleship has been taking place in this room since since the mid-2000s. Before that, it took place in another room on the other side of the building for about 15 years before that. Before that, it took place at the church at Bryant in, in, in town in Scotts Bluff. And each and every one of us, whether we're here in person or whether we're watching online, we're, we're the byproduct of someone else's time, effort, and energy. There's nothing that we do today that's, that's not based on what someone else has done before us. And it's not, it's not just us as a collective group, but it's us as individuals. I think, back, I think back to my story. I know that many of you have heard it. Think back when we moved to Marysville, Ohio in 1995. Um, without Teresa returning a phone call to Anne, my wife, and telling her, well, my childcare is in fact full. God is telling me that we, like, we're supposed to take you. We're supposed to take your kids. Like, if it, and God can do whatever he wants to. If it weren't for, if it weren't for Teresa's humble service and generosity and love, like, we wouldn't be here today. I, I can draw a direct path to Teresa Poland in 1995, taking us, accepting us, helping Anne carry our kids in and our kids' stuff into the church on Sunday mornings. I can draw a direct path to sitting in a room like this and chairs that look an awful lot like there must be, I know there's a church chair company. Right, like sitting in chairs Exactly like you are today. Like I can draw a line back to Teresa answering our questions and small groups answering our questions and tolerating our questions. Because the reality of it is, is each and every one of us are here. We are, we are disciples 
because of the time, efforts, and energy of other people. And we're here today for a reason and for a purpose. This isn't just some random thing. I don't think that any of you just woke up today. I don't want to remove free will from this. But God has us here for a reason. God has called us to be a part of something. He's he's invited us to be a part of something. And each one of us today have responded to that. And here's, here's the purpose On the night before Jesus died, Jesus said this, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. I love this next part. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's your love for one another that proves that you are his disciples. We sang this song last week. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Like, I said 70s. I could be wrong. It may be older. I don't think that's a 70s campfire song. Probably goes back earlier than that. But I remember singing that. I remember, I remember singing that when we would go to youth events. We would sing that song. Those aren't just words for us. They'll know we are Christians by our love. See, we are... We are to demonstrate love. This song is a demonstrated reality. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. See, these these are the behaviors that we are to be known for. These are the things like this. If you you want a list, and I am a recovering lister, if you, if you want a list to follow, if you need that checklist in your life, this is, this is it. These are the things that we are to be made, that we are to be known for. These, these are outward manifestations and demonstrations of what's going on inside of us. This comes from the inside out. These are the behaviors that mark us. So we ought to ask some questions as as people, who, as people who believe in the Bible, we had to ask some questions. Okay, so, so how, like, how do we live these things out? Like, right? what, what do they practically look like? Well, firstly, we, we gather together. So we, we demonstrate these behaviors first and foremost with other Christians. Because Jesus said, this is, how, this is how the world will know that you belong to me. As we gather together and we, we demonstrate these behaviors, we demonstrate these things with one another. We gather together because of our love for God and our love for one another. And we demonstrate them to one another. We gather together because we want to be around one another. 
Back in October, um, our, our daughter and her whole family moved from Clinton, Oklahoma. They moved to North Platte, Nebraska. Uh, her husband, Joel, is a pastor at Valley Christian Church there. And we were really excited to have them, have them close by. If you, if you ever get the opportunity to be a grandparent, when your grandkids move from 10 plus hours away to three hours away, like you will rejoice in that moment. So a few weeks ago, Katie called us on Saturday. It's like, it's like 2.15 in the afternoon. And she says, hey, do you want to meet us in Ogallala for dinner? And I'll be kind of honest with you for a minute. The thought, and then in order for us to meet them at the time they needed to, to be there, like we needed to live, leave like an hour and 15 minutes later. And I'll just be honest with you. Um, my first thought was, yeah, I can't wait to be in the car for four hours tonight. But, but the reality of it was, this was an opportunity for us to connect with and be with, be with our family. It was an opportunity for us to be with the people that, 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 we, have been, that we have been called into a relationship with because of that familial connection. And I would, I would challenge and encourage you, like we are called as Christians, we're called to gather together because we want, we want to be around one another. Like here's a, I don't know if this is a secret, but at some point as Christians, we're, we're all, every, well, everyone's going to die. And then we're going to go as Christians and we're going to go and spend eternity with one another. And what we have is this opportunity, we have this opportunity to demonstrate this wanting to be with one another before that happens. Like we're all going to be stuck with one another after we die. This is what we're called to do. We're called to love one another. We're called to gather together. We're called to be with one another because, because we want to be together. We should gather often as, as we talked about a few weeks ago, one of the things that we found is, as we've been evaluating like who we are as a church, where, where things are, um, half our body is here twice or less per month. When it comes to gathering, it's half our body. And as, as I talked about like, Man, I have so many thoughts and emotions about this. I have so many feelings about this. And the thing that we don't want anyone to hear is, like, we don't want to guilt anyone to being here because it's not about you. It's not about your, I said butts in the seats before, so I can say it again. Like, it's not about your butts in the seats here on a Sunday morning. This is about your discipleship. This is about your, the love that we have for one another as a body. And next week, you know, we're getting, we're getting ready to do this series on First and Second Peter. It's going to take nine weeks. And, and for, for some people's, like, normal attendance habit on Sunday morning, you're going to hear two of those messages. And, that, and maybe you're here listening to them throughout the week, I hope. Maybe you're watching throughout the week, I hope. As Dave Robinson said, to, to deflate my, my puffy head a few weeks ago, well, John, you know that people can be discipled without your voice. Which, he's right. But we're called to be together. 
It's not about, it's not about one person's voice. It's about the gathering as believers. As I think about that, my question is, how does your gathering indicate your commitment and love to God and body here at Westway? Your salvation is not contingent on your attendance. Let me just, any of you that are hearing legalism come out of my mouth right now, your salvation is not contingent on your attendance. But I would say your attendance is a demonstration and reflection of it. It's an indicator. See, we're each the product of the love of others as demonstrated by the gathering. If it weren't for the gathering, we wouldn't, Anna, we wouldn't be here. If it weren't for being in a room like this, hearing the gospel, being able to talk to other people about it, we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be Christians. And my guess is that's true for a lot of you. I heard, I don't want to call the person out, but I heard that there was a Sunday when Marshall Smith was here and someone was walking up to the doorway and they started to turn around and walk the other way and Marshall walked outside and he grabbed their hand and said, you need to come in here today. See, that person's, that person's discipleship was based on Marshall's humble service go out and get people. It's not just gathering, it's giving and serving. And as Zane said a few minutes ago, there's, there's nothing that we do here that doesn't require humble service and generous giving. Last week, we talked about the role and the responsibilities of the Levites in the Old Testament. Remember, there were some people, their job was to carry the ark. And then there were other people, their job was to carry the tent pegs. And make no mistake, each and every one of those people were required. In order to, in order to set up and take down the tabernacle, and you should, you should read through the book of Exodus, because they would set it up and then they have to tear it down because the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud by night, when it was there, they would stop, they'd set up everything. And then when it started to move, they'd have to tear everything down. Like that just took a lot of coordination. And every single person was required. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 12, 8, excuse me. But our bodies in many parts and God has put each part where he wants to. See, that last, that last part of the verse, I think, is, is probably one of the most crucial parts of, of understanding this whole text about what it means to be a part of the body. God has assembled the body. God has assembled the body. And the way that we talk about that here at Westway Christian Church is, is that we have everything we need. See, because God has assembled the body, because God's put it together, we have everything we need. God's not going to assemble a half-assembled body. God is going to give us everything we need for what we are called to do. This past week in small group, as we, as we unpacked last, um, last week's message, um, I started to take notes. And then someone in, in our group who shall remain uh, nameless 
um, her initials are JS, um, said, oh, are we helping you write next week's sermon now? I said, well, first off, you do that every week. Second off, we're just review. This is just good for review. But then I thought, no, this is where actually we are writing this week's sermon. We talked about this concept of, of having everything we need as a body and what, what the implications of that are. And, and one of the questions like, that I, as I was discussing this, one of the things I said was, well, well, if we don't have everyone we need, let's, like, let's say we have this thing that we're doing as a church and we, don't, and we don't have people to do that thing, is it possible that we shouldn't do that thing? So I just said, as a, for instance, Sunday morning kids ministry, Wednesday night kids ministry, teaching of children. And then one of the other people in our small group, Diana Hahn, said, well, well, why wouldn't we want to teach children about Jesus? Why wouldn't that be God's will for our church? And then I'm like, okay, well, now we're on to something. Right? So, so when we're thinking about this and, and we're thinking about the people that we have to serve in all sorts of ways and we don't have people who are serving, a question we have to ask is, is this what God wants us to do? Can we all agree that teaching other people the gospel, especially children, probably what God wants us to do as a church. We can all pretty much agree with that. Right? So then, so then the next question is, well, then, then, then why aren't people serving? And I'm a, you figured this out, I'm a negative person. I said, well, I think, I think it really it comes down to, well, somebody just doesn't want to do it. So, so we know what we're called to do. We know um, maybe what we're gifted to do as a body, and people just don't want to be obedient to God. And then J.S. said, but there's a third thing. What if they don't know what their gift is? And then they can't serve because they don't know what their gift is. This is one of the things I love about small group is when someone rebukes uh, their lead pastor in front of everybody. So then we began to have this conversation, and, I, and, this is, and this is when I wrote it down on the back of my notepad, and this is when this person said, are we writing next week's sermon? So I said, well, what, what's the first thing then that we need to know? Like, if I, if I want to know what God's will is, if I want to know what God's gift is for my life, if, if I want to know what I'm supposed to do in the church, like, like what's step one? And somebody said, um, well, it'll be something I enjoy, I said, I said, okay, I th that's a good answer, but like, what comes, what comes before that? Well, it'll be something I'm good at. Okay, that's a good answer. What comes before that? And then we talked about how the first thing is we have to recognize that it's God's desire for every person to serve. See, that's what, that's what 1 Corinthians, I think it's 12, 7 says. God has given us each a gift for the building up of the church. Us each a gift. Not some, not many, not a few. Each. Each one of us. Like, we have to recognize step one as we're thinking about this question about how do I serve? How do I get involved? How do I get engaged in the church? We have to recognize that God has given each one of us a gift. Like, that's, that's the foundational statement. 
How do we know what our gift is? How can we figure that out? Recovering list first, and we came up with a list. Recognize that it's God's will for me to serve. Pray about where I should serve. Pray about it. Ask God about it. Surround myself with others and ask them. You, are, are you starting to see how gathering starts now to matter in this whole mix? Like if we're not in relationship with one another, if we're not around one another, like there are so many places in this little list that we have created where this system just breaks down. Pray about it. Surround myself with others. Ask other people. And then be humble. Be humble when they give me that feedback. We had this, we had this situation happen. It was back in November. Zane and I were, um, Zane and I were talking one Thursday afternoon, and we were kind of coming up with a list of people who we knew who we knew weren't serving within our body. And um, one of the names on the list was someone who was who was pretty new, uh, who was pretty new to Westway. And I said, hey, you know, or we both talked about it, like, we should pray for this list. We should pray through this list. Well, then this person comes in the, in, the, in the building. They come walking across the parking lot. And I said, Zane, look out your window. And this person was walking across the parking lot. And this person came in and they were here. See, they thought they were here to pay for their kids' winter whitewash um, registration. That's why they thought they were here that Sunday. Zane runs out there, gets the registration form from him, and says, hey, just so you know, John and I were sitting back there, and we were talking about, um, we were talking about you and how you should serve in this ministry. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's a little forward, Zane. Right? You know, he's new. I know that I need to work on my bedside manner after six years. Zane needs to work on his bedside manner. And then this person goes, well, the funny thing about that is this is actually something I've been praying about. I'm like, okay. Now this person is serving. See, recognizing what God's will is for us, praying about it, surrounding ourselves with others, being asking someone, what can I do to serve? And being humble when being asked. You know, it, it might be something you enjoy. I think that can be an indicator. And then we said, we have to, someone has to be open to learn to try something new. So I'm just going to stop saying JS. I'm just going to call her Jamie Sato. That's who this imaginary person's name is. And she said when she first started coming to Westway, she wanted to get involved. She wanted to serve. She serves in the coffee area. But the problem is she doesn't drink coffee. Can we agree that might be a problem? She said, I had to, someone showed me how to make coffee. See, there's this, there's this humility to learn something that, that maybe we don't even like. To try something new. 
And then as we're having this conversation, Jamie goes, and honestly, like the making of the coffee is probably, probably 10% of what we actually do. The rest of it is just talking to people and building relationships with people. And then the last thing for us is, is we want to say yes when we're asked. Because the thing that you might be being asked for might, like, might be your gift. Maybe you just don't know it. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's not based on what you like to do. Maybe it's not based upon what you want to do. Maybe it's based upon what your purpose is within our body. Maybe it'll be something that over time you want to do it and you like to do it. And my guess is it will be. My guess is anytime you have served other people, regardless of your attitude going into that service, my guess is when the service was done, you were glad you did it. It was far more fulfilling than what you thought it would be. So as you're thinking about like, how, how do I serve? How do I get involved in the body? Like, you've got to take some responsibility for it. Pray about it. Ask other people. Put yourself in a situation where you are around others. Be willing. Say yes. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, again, like we've, we've still got this, this statistic of half of our body here twice or less per month. We've got this statistic of half of our body serving in the body. We've got this statistic of half of our body giving to our body. And I'm just going to reformulate the question I asked a few minutes ago. How does your giving and serving indicate your commitment and love to God in the body here at Westway? This isn't a legalistic question. This isn't, this isn't meant to make you feel bad. Your salvation, this is really good news this morning. Your salvation is not contingent on your giving. Isn't that good news? Your salvation is not contingent on your serving. Isn't that good news? But your giving and your serving and my giving and my serving is certainly a reflection of it. It's an image. It's a demonstration of what God has done for me. We each and every one of us have a role to play here at Westway Christian Church. We each and every one of us have a role to play in the church. And each and every one of us, and I'm saying this on repeat because I want you to get it. Each and every one of us is a product of someone else's time, effort, and energy. Each and every one of us. So what's our, what's our response? How should we then live? Well, that's Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See this? This is our response. As we, as we think about all of the ways that 
someone else's humble service and someone else's generosity and someone else's gathering together and being willing to gather with us and answer our questions and hear our concerns. As we think about the love that other people have shown for us, this, this is our response. This is what we do. This morning's first line in, in this week's Bible reading plan on version was just so fantastic. A fully devoted follower of Christ is someone who is becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. And let that, let that, let that burrow into your heart for a minute. A fully devoted follower of Christ is someone who is becoming like Jesus for the sake of others. We are, we have been saved because we can't save ourselves, because we're sinners, we can't do it ourselves, and we need Jesus. I know that's all the same thing. We've been saved because, because we needed a Savior from ourselves, from our sinful choices. We've been saved for the sake of other people. See, when we, when we read through the Old Testament, we, we see how Israel is supposed to be the city on a hill, shining for all of the other nations. It wasn't, it wasn't for, the, for the Israelites to be able to point to themselves and say, look how great we are. Don't you want to be like us? Not in the way that we want to ask that question. But they were given their position so that other nations would see who they were as God's people and would desire to have that. Would desire to have God's blessing showered upon them in the same way that they were showered upon the Israelites. And in that same way, we, we are saved for the sake of others. We needed to be saved. I know I needed to be saved. You needed to be saved. And God has saved you for the sake of other people so that they will look at your life, they will look at my life, and we will just point them to Jesus. We will be revealers of who Jesus is. We will be demonstrators of who Jesus is. This is, this is why we're here. This is the point. And then the... Next couple sentences. And what did Jesus spend his life doing? Making disciples. So becoming like Jesus means that we too are called to make disciples. This, this is why we're here. Is to make disciples. This is, this is the whole point. I wonder how, how many of us measure our spiritual lives. How do we, how do we measure our maturity well, in Ephesians 4.13, it tells us that we are, that our measurement is against Christ. Our measurement is never against one another. And I think this is one of those places where we, where we kind of get messed up a little bit. When we think that I could like compare to someone else, someone else's gift, someone else's talent, someone else's skill, someone else's maturity level. Like we think that, that they are our measurement. 
But Ephesians 4.13 tells us that our, our measuring stick is Jesus. And no matter how we compare against one another, this is a good news, bad news. Um, no matter how we compare against one another, you will never measure up to the, to, the, to the height of who Christ is in your maturity. Until you die and you go to heaven. Then you're there. So what that means is, is we should be a people who are constantly demonstrating these, these behaviors in pursuit of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is a never-ending thing for us. Was Jesus' life marked by love? Yes. Read the Gospels. Was Jesus' life marked by gathering? Yes, he was constantly surrounded by other people. He was constantly making disciples. Was Jesus' life marked by humble service? Have you read the Gospels? Was Jesus' life marked by generous giving? Yes. And this is who we are, this is who we are to mimic. This is who we are to copy in increasing amounts. See, I would say for, for a maturing Christian, the gathering ought to be more important today than it was 10 years ago. It just ought to matter more. Hebrews 10.25 talks about that more and more as the time of Jesus' return comes closer. Like it should just matter more and more and more and more. Gathering should matter more. Our generosity ought to have increased as we become more like Jesus. Our service ought to have increased. Our going, our going and telling other people about Jesus, that, that ought to have increased the more we become like Jesus. Earlier, I talked about the hours and hours and hours and hours that went into all of the things that we do. And again, because I'm like, I'm kind of a negative person, cup half empty a lot of times. Like this question kind of popped up in my head. Um, and that question was simple. Well, well, is it worth it? Man, we are, we are spending a lot of time and effort and energy to, to do this. Like on a Sunday morning, in small groups, and all of the other things that we've talked about, Wednesday nights, and grandparenting potlucks, and like, that's a lot of, can we agree that that's a lot of time and effort and energy? And a question that we ought to ask is, is that worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I just, I love, I love the book of Acts. There's a lot of things that are happening in the book of Acts. There's this one scene in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. And he stops in this place called Miletus. And he calls for the, el the elders of Ephesus to meet with them. And, and sort of like, this is, this is sort of Paul's farewell tour if you want to think about it this way. One of the things we'll read in chapter 21 is, is Paul knows what awaits him. There are people who are trying to talk Paul out of doing what he's doing. 
And, and Paul's response is, look, I know exactly what the mission and purpose of my life is, and you are not going to prevent me from having that fulfilled in my life. Was Paul is giving these elders at Ephesus, or from Ephesus, final instructions, he says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of of God. My life is worth nothing to me if I don't do this. If I'm not proclaiming the good news, my, like my life has no meaning and has no purpose. What are the things to which you have dedicated your life? If your calendar can answer that question, what would it say? What would that little, for me, it's Sunday mornings at about 9, 10. So right in the middle of tech walkthrough, I get this little pop-up on my phone. It's called a screen time notification. Wonder if you were to not just swipe it away, but if you were to click on that, what would, what would the amount of screen time you had last week say about what's most important in your life? What would, what would your check account, checking account say is most important? How would it answer that question? What would your mindset and your attitude towards serving say in response to that question? And I had this conversation when we were driving to North Platte the other day. So, you know, one of the things I'm really working on on Sunday mornings is not, not sounding like I'm angry. I'm working on that. I said, because when I'm thinking about all of these things and I'm thinking about the statistics and I'm thinking about the things that are, that are not, that are like left undone in our body or are being done by people who are over-serving and over-committed, like the primary, the primary emotion is not anger. The primary emotion is just is sadness. Because I see that God has, God has placed everyone in the body. Everyone, we have everyone we need. And there are things that we're missing. I'm just, I'm sad. And I take that to God and I ask him to see things and be aware of things and be encouraging and, and give tools and ideas about how to get involved and how to get engaged. And then I look out in the parking lot this morning and Doss is out there driving the golf cart around picking people up. That's like that's service. Some of you made it in the building this morning because Doss came and picked you up at your car. This is, this is service. This is, this is what we're called to do as a, as a body. And, and it's not just what we're called to do. Because that's a checklist. This is, this is what we're called to be as a body. This is what we're called to be. I saw this great quote from Alistair Begg. I don't have his accent. I wish I did. I'd be way cooler. The gospel message 
that Jesus is the long-promised king and much-needed savior did not conclude with Paul in Rome, nor when it arrived at your doorstep. God is still telling it, and his people are still called to share it, unhindered. Here's, here's the translation. The gospel doesn't terminate on you. We have the opportunity through our love and our gathering and our humble service and our generous giving to make a difference in the lives of other people. This is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. This is our purpose as Christians. And there are lots of things, lots of things that we, that we can be called into, that we can be invited into to participate in our lives, that we can dedicate significant time, effort, and energy to. There are lots of things, and many of those things are good. But the thing that matters the most, the thing that matters the most, is the time, effort, and energy that we spend in telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. Being the people... Being Marshall, being Teresa Poland, being whoever it was in your life that gave of themselves to share the gospel with you. And my hope and my prayer as we, as we come out of this series about who we are as a church and, and we are Westway, is that, that that's who we're going to be this year. Is a people who are so engaged and so dialed in to the gospel that it just comes out of every pore of our body. And then 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, like, wouldn't it be awesome if somebody said, you know what, if it, man, if it wasn't for the faithfulness of you, wouldn't it be cool if it was a person who was right here 30 years from now? said, if it wasn't for the faithfulness of you as a body, I wouldn't be here. Let's pray. God, I'm just grateful and thankful for who you are. I'm grateful and thankful for the way that you have assembled our body. You've put everything in it that we need. And I pray that we would seek to fulfill your role, your responsibility for us. And it's in your son's name. Amen.